Slavery was a prison that spanned centuries and continents. Black slavery was the engine that helped gather the capital that drove the Industrial Revolution. The labour of black slaves was the cornerstone of modern capitalism. In the 18th and 19th centuries, the major consumer goods were coffee, rum, sugar, tobacco and cotton, all of which were the produce of slavery. In pre-Civil War America, 60% of the world's cotton was grown on the slave plantations in the South, and in the North, business and industry fed from the slave South. Textile and meat processing factories, insurance companies, shippers and cotton brokers all flourished. I went to Master Shaw's plantation. <sighs> you admit it? Yes, freely. And you know why? I got this from Mrs. Shaw. Mrs. Epps won't even grab me no soap to clean with. I stink so much I make myself gag. In a film career that is but three feature films old, Steve McQueen has already made three masterpieces. Very few directors have CVs that begin so impressively. The French master Robert Bresson springs to mind, as does the Russian screen poet Andrei Tarkovsky. Their names should give an indication as to not just the arena, but the rarefied atmosphere in which McQueen operates. That is not to say McQueen's films are inaccessible. Yes, until now, they have not attracted large audiences, but there is nothing about them that is obscure. On the contrary, they all have plots that are very easy to watch. I say watch because we're often told that film is a visual medium. This is not true. And it is nice to see that McQueen, whose initial work as a video artist saw him win the Turner Prize, is a filmmaker who proves that film is not a visual medium. If you think that cinema is a visual medium, you're missing half the picture. The other half is audio, and strong as McQueen's visual sensibilities are, do not underestimate his use of sound. Listen to this from his first film, Hunger. I selected it because, while we hear that, we are seeing something else entirely. In other words, McQueen separates what we see and what we hear in order to give us two experiences at once. And it is within that differential that the real experience of hunger is to be found. Another example from hunger is when McQueen encourages us to compare and contrast different events. We see one of the wardens unpacking his lunch. He unfolds a tinfoil wrapping and takes out his sandwiches and then when he is done, he folds the tinfoil back into a small shape. This seemingly meaningless but habitual action by the warden is echoed in the most unexpected way when we see prisoners folding and unfolding cigarette paper into ever smaller pieces in order to smuggle their messages in and out of the prison. McQueen has said that one of the reasons why he made 12 Years a Slave is because there are so few films that tackle the subject. To which it must be added 
that those few films all do so solely from a moral standpoint. And while their condemnation of slavery is clear, it is very limited. We know that slavery is wrong, so those films bring us no further insight. 12 Years a Slave doesn't so much depict slavery as examine it. More than that, it does so from a series of vantage points, not least of which is analysing the way it systematically robbed not only its victims of their humanity, but their descendants as well. One way in which a person, a people, and by extension humanity, expresses its identity is through speech. And in 12 Years a Slave, we see a highly educated, intelligent, prosperous and kindly man, Solomon Northup, played by Chiwetel Echifor, kidnapped and transported into a living hell. There, on a Louisiana cotton plantation, he is renamed Platt. This is a list of goods and sundries. You will take it to be filled and return immediately. Take your tag. Tell Bartholomew to add it to our debt. Yes, miss. Where are you from, Platt? I told you. Tell me again. Washington. Who were your master? Master name of Freeman. Was he a learned man? I suppose so. He learned you to read? A word, here or there. But I've no understanding of the written text. Well, don't trouble yourself with it. Same as the rest, Master bought you here to work, that's all. Any more, I'll earn you a hundred lashes. Forced to deny his true identity, he is compelled to deny his intelligence, submit to systematic humiliation, enforce a most savage punishment, and in so doing, become a near monosyllabic grunting beast. In other words, 12 Years of Slave shows us how slavery operated and then shows us how it impacted on its victims. Slavery claimed to provide proof that slaves were subhuman. After all, humans are more than monosyllabic grunting beasts, aren't they? You make no sounds, but will you ever let them go in your heart? They are as my flesh. Then who is distressed? Do I upset the master and the mistress? Do you care less about my loss than, than their well-being? Master Ford is a decent man. He is a slaver. Under the circumstances. Under the circumstances, he's a slaver. But you truckle at his boot. No. You luxuriate in his face. I survive. I will not fall into despair. I will offer up my talents to Master Ford. I will keep myself hardy till freedom is opportune. Oh, Ford, is your opportunity? You think he does not know that you are more than you suggest, but he does nothing for you, nothing. You are no better than prized livestock. Call for him. Call, tell him of your previous circumstances and see what it earns you, something. Denying yourself your own identity causes deep shame, which is the title of McQueen's second film. There, Michael Fassbender plays Brandon, a New York advertising executive who is a sex addict. A sequence has Brandon's sister, Sissy, played by Kerry Mulligan, come to stay with him. No sooner has Sissy met Brandon's boss, David, then she takes him back to Brandon's apartment for sex. Disgusted, Brandon heads out for a late night jog. He runs and runs and keeps running and McQueen keeps the camera on him as he crosses one 
and two and then three blocks. This is not a man out for just a 2am jog. This is a man who is running from something. Then, when Brandon eventually stops, it is because the traffic light is against him and he pauses as the traffic passes. As McQueen still holds on the shot, we see the traffic light has been damaged and it is hanging on its side, dangling from the lamppost. It shows a man on his side, and that is Brandon, jogging on the spot, but going nowhere. No matter how hard he tries to escape himself, he cannot, because like all addicts, he cannot embrace himself. If you had a choice to live in the past or the future, and you could be anything you wanted to be, what would you be? How would you be? Well, I always wanted to be a musician in the 60s. That's cool. A musician? Yeah. The 60s is tough, though. I saw Gimme Shelter recently. You know the Rolling Stones documentary? Yeah. Kind of seemed like hell. What? <laughs> yeah, the 60s would be like the last place I would want to be. No way! <laughs> yes! Ugh, chaos. So where would you want to, and what would you want to be? Um, I don't know, here, now. That's boring. That Brandon says he would like to have been a musician in the 60s is curious because none of the music he listens to is from that era. Instead, this is part of his record collection. I So, you can have sex, but love is another matter. Twelve Years a Slave also gives us many images that force us to look. And keep looking, until we see beyond the event that was initially presented. There is a sequence where Solomon is strung up on a branch. The rope hangs him just high enough so that he writhes in strangulating agony, yet just low enough so that the tips of his boots can scrape on the ground, giving him an excruciating glimmer of hope that he can survive. By holding the shot, we then notice the people walking by in the background. They too are slaves, and so habitual, so common is this practice, that they know better than to help cut Solomon down. They know their survival depends on their ignoring the reality in front of them. They must pretend he does not exist, that the suffering does not exist. And by showing that event unfold in second after unbearable second, McQueen gives us another glimpse as to how absolute a slave owner's power was. McQueen uses the long take because he knows that in cinema there are essentially two emotions, edited emotion and real-time emotion. Editor emotions are those where the editor dictates the tone, tempo and intensity of the feelings on screen. Real-time emotion is when the director chooses to present the event in a single shot, thereby allowing the actors to live the emotions in real time so that the audience can experience the emotions in real time. The technique ensures that the cast, led by Chiwetel Ejiofor, Lupita Nyong'o and Michael Fassbinder unfurl their emotions in as natural a manner as possible. 
Those emotions are captured through the unblinking lens of cinematographer Sean Bobbitt, who, along with McQueen, decided to resist the cliché of going for a gritty, grainy image. Instead, beautiful light bathes the beautiful landscapes in which the most barbaric things take place. And the same goes for the score. Hans Zimmer, a composer most readily associated with summer blockbusters, steers clear of its swelling symphonic sounds in favour of a spare and sparse soundtrack that is at once melodic and discordant. Like the landscape, like life, both beautiful and very unsettling. (laughs) 